The text of this morning's sermon is Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 14. If you have a Bible and you want to turn there, Romans 6, verses 1 through 14. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we, too, might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who ha- for one has died, for one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal bodies to make you obey their passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you, since you are not under law, but under grace. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you work now through your word. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would make the Christians here more like you. And Father, those who have yet to trust in you, God, I pray that they may see their only hope and cling to him. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we just got back last week from a conference in Indianapolis. And one of the resources that uh, we brought home with us was a new children's catechism. Uh, It's called uh, the New City Catechism. It's taken from the Heidelberg uh, catechism. And uh, if you're not familiar with what a catechism is, but it's questions that you ask children and responses that helps them be grounded in the Christian faith. The first question that uh, is asked in it is this, what is our only hope in life and death? Response, that we are not our own, but belong to God. I've been thinking about that this week. What is our only hope in life or death? It has to do with belonging, not to ourselves, but to God. If you belong to yourself, who do you belong to? Me. If that's your answer, you are in big trouble. And here's why. You have no answer to your greatest problems. You can't stop yourself from dying. You won't be able to stand yourself up in good works before the throne of God, your Creator, one day. You won't have any hope 
unless you belong to God. Because what God does is carries His children. Let me give you an example. Imagine you're walking in a wilderness territory where there's mountains, there's forests, there's steep canyons. You're off the beaten path with a professional guide and all of a sudden, you come upon a cute little four-year-old boy meandering through the forest. (laughs) And you look at the guide and you're looking around and you're astonished at this sight. What are you going to say to this child when you come up to him? Uh, hey, buddy, who do you belong to? Now, why do you ask that question? We're all going to ask him the same question Where's your mom and dad? Where's your babysitter? Who do you belong to? Now, if he says, well, I belong to my father who's the park ranger. He's 100 yards behind me. Well, then you go, hoofda. This kid's okay. But if the child says, I belong to myself, you know this kid is dead in three days. Unless someone takes care of this child, there is no hope. This morning, we're going to talk about something, a theological truth. It's not the easiest truth. I'm probably making a big mistake this morning. You're supposed to have an easy sermon on Easter Sunday that everybody will just be able to get their arms around. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you want to, you can hear the best news in the world this morning. But it's not going to be easy. It's going to be easy to check out. We're going to talk about union with Christ. This isn't the itty-bitty skim top of Christianity. These are... This is the deep roots of the what it means to be a Christian and how we live as Christians. It's the most glorious truths we see in the Bible. So in order to understand this text, we're going to look at Romans uh, chapter 6. You can begin to turn there if you'd like. Romans chapter 6 starts with the question, and we won't understand the question unless we understand what Paul tells this Roman church right before uh, Romans 6 and chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5, Paul speaks of two heads of the human race. Those who belong to Adam and those who belong to Christ. What we see in uh, starting in verse 12, here's what we read. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Death reigned from Adam to Moses. So Adam and Eve sinned and passed sin on to the whole human race. And because of that, there's a reign over the whole human race. Every person is enslaved to the master of sin and the promised end for every sinner is death. So if you belong to Adam, here's the guarantee of your life. You will be enslaved to 
your own selfish, sinful desires for the rest of your life, and condemnation and judgment is waiting for you. What you have to look forward to is death. The king, the master over you is sin. To be found in Adam is to belong to one who can do you no good. Now you might say, well, that's not fair that Adam sinned and then everyone was born sinful. You want to be careful here. Because if we want someone who can stand in our place because we're sinful, then we might become okay with a head that stands for us. But we're taught in the Bible, Adam sinned, Adam died, and all of his children therefore sinned, and all of his children therefore died. But look at verse 16 of Romans 5. And the free gift is not like the result of one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass, that's Adam's, brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, you see that king, kingly language? For because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification. That means the not guilty declaration and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. So let's just sum it up in simple terms. Through the one man, Adam, sin reigned in death and promised condemnation. But through the one man, Jesus Christ, the free gift of righteousness reigned in eternal life and justification. So, if you're found in Adam, sin condemnation, judgment, if you're found in Christ, grace, which is the free gift of Jesus' perfect life in your place, by which God will see your life covered in Christ and say, not guilty, eternal life. So the question is, who do you belong to? That's the most important question. And then in verse 20 of chapter 5, here's what it says. Now the law came to increase the trespass. When God gave the commandments to Moses, trespasses increased because God said, here's my standard and everyone could clearly see, oh, I fall short of that standard. Now when the law came, or now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this brings about the question that begins verse 1 of chapter 6. If through Christ... Grace always a seed goes higher than sin. He can cover any sin. What's the question? Well, let's just sin. Let's just see how high grace can go. Someone might think that. 
Is, it, is this how we ought to live? So here's how these 14 verses are laid out. I think it'll help us. Verses 1 and 2 ask a question and give an answer. Shall we sin so that grace may increase? By no means. There's the question. There's the answer. But then Paul gives an argument in verses 3 through 10. And his argument that you shouldn't sin just because there's grace there is in your identity with Christ, in your union with Christ. And then in verses 11 through 13, or, or through verse 14, we're going to be told what to do then. For not to sin, then how shall we live? So let's look at the question. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means, how can we who died to sin live in it? Do not let grace lead you into sin. I'm pretty sure all of us have fallen into this trap. Because you know there's grace there, you comfort yourself in sinning. When we do that, when we're lax toward fighting sin in our life, because of the grace of Christ, here's your problem. You separate God's grace from your union in Christ. Let me say that again. You separate God's grace from your union in Christ. That's your problem when you do that. Because God's grace has a purpose. And it makes zero sense to go on sinning once you understand why God gave you the grace He gave you. Here's the truth. Everything God is for you, He is for you in Christ. Let me say that again. Everything God is for you, if God's for you in any way, He's only for you in Christ. In union with Christ. All of His goodness flows through Christ. And all Christ is for us is for God's glory. Everything Jesus did so that you and I can be united to Him is so that God can be glorified through your life and my life. You see, it's a bad thing to be looking forward to death. Eternal death in hell forever under the judgment of God. That's a horrible thing to think about. But the most horrible thing is that you can't do what you're created to do, and that is to be an image bearer for God, to reflect His glory. And sin keeps us from reflecting His glory because sin loves God's creation rather than God. Every sinner is an idolater. And at the root of their sin is worship of the creation rather than the Creator. And when we do that, we defame His glory. Death is bad. Eternal death in hell is bad. But what's the worst is when we're created for one purpose, and that's what will truly make us happy, and we can't do it. Well, I have good news for you. If you walk through these doors this morning, a sinner like I did, here's why it doesn't make sense to just say, well, let's just sin because there's grace there for you. 
First of all, look at verse 3. We get a statement. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? So here you have union with Christ. All of us who have been baptized into Christ. Now, the Bible teaches that a person should be baptized once they've trusted in Christ. Baptism is a visible sign of a faith in Christ. And therefore, it demonstrates union with Christ. Just like a wedding ring. If you see I have a wedding ring on, you don't look at that and say, oh, there's your wedding right there. No, this ring symbolizes the real event where I got married. That's what baptism does. It symbolizes our union with Christ. And what verse 3 teaches is that all of us who've trusted in Christ and therefore went and did what Christ called us to do, be baptized. Baptism doesn't save you. It's just a visible representation of what happened to us. When a person goes under the water, it's representative of being baptized into Christ's death. So if you're trusting in Christ, here's when you died. 30 A.D. at Golgotha on a cross. Now this is hard for us to comprehend. It's something God does spiritually. It's not as if Jesus was cut open by a surgeon and pulled apart and we crawl inside Him and then they sew Him up. That's not what it means to be in Christ. But God supernaturally, spiritually, even mystically, unites us with Christ in His death. So that when Jesus died on the cross, all the sins you've ever committed and ever will commit were actually on Him. And when God poured out His wrath on Jesus, He poured out His wrath not for Jesus' sins, but for your sins and my sins. We really were united with Him in His death. 1 Corinthians 1.30, listen how God does this. Because of Him being God, you are in Christ Jesus. It's the best miracle in the world. How can my sins be paid for in Christ's death? Well, that's what verse 3 teaches us. And then look at verse 4. We see the purpose of this. We were buried, therefore, with Him by baptism into death, in order that, so why? Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. What kind of promise is this? If we're baptized into His death, just as Christ what died and was raised, we too will be raised. Even you can walk in a different way. You can live differently. You can walk in newness of life. And then here's another implication. Look at verse 5. For if we've been united with Him in a death like His, we shall certainly be united with Him in a resurrection like His. Verse 8 is similar to that. Look at verse 8. Now if we've died with Christ, we believe we'll also live with Him. Now Jesus was raised up out of the grave, defeated death. The only person to ever defeat death, He did it so that death no longer has reign on Him. Another purpose. Look at verse 6. We know that our old self was crucified with Him. Now, 
What's our old self? Our old self in belonging to Adam. When you're not yet saved, you belong to Adam. But if you've trusted in Christ, your old Adam self was crucified with Jesus. 30 A.D., Golgotha. In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. Now, sin enslaved us because because of it, Satan could come to us and say, hey, you're guilty. You better be afraid. Judgment is coming. That's slavery. Every morning, wake up. You recognize your sin. Hey, you're a sinner. Be afraid. Judgment is coming. And the worst part about it is you wake up in the morning and your taste buds, all they think about is selfishness and sin. You don't even know how to change it. But what does this verse say? If we're crucified with Him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who died to sin has been set free from sin. You see, once you're trusting in Christ and Satan comes to you and says, Sam, you're a sinner, I can say, yeah, tell me something I don't know. Oh yeah, you better be afraid. Oh really? Jesus took my sin and I died to it in Christ, in my union with Him. Oh, and you're going to threaten me with death just as Jesus raised from the dead. So I will raise from the dead. And Satan will say, yeah, but you want sin today. And I can say, well, by the grace of God, I actually desire something of the glory of God in my life. No, it's not perfect, but my taste buds, Jesus even began to change. In that sense... In our union with Christ, we're no longer slaves to sin like we used to. Then look at verses 9 and 10. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin, He died once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So let me, I was trying to figure out how do I illustrate this to you? How can you feel the glory of this? So let's say you murdered somebody in the state of South Dakota. A vicious murder. The judge finds you, the jury finds you guilty. You're sentenced to death. The death penalty. Now, here's the question. When, according to the state of South Dakota, will you be justified? When will the state of South Dakota say justice has been paid? When you're dead. That's not very good news. But what do these verses tell us? Let me read it again. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. For the death He died to sin, He died, or the death He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. The good news is this. If you can be united to Christ in His death, you can actually live on this earth justified. Not guilty for the sins you committed. Do you feel the gift of that? Our sin required the death penalty. And not just any death penalty, the worst death penalty. Eternal death in hell. Now, you might be thinking, well, I don't believe in a God that would send someone to hell forever. It's because you don't understand His glory. 
for justice to be right, the most glorious being in the universe is God. If you sin against the most glorious, infinite God of the universe, justice demands the worst punishment possible. If God's value is eternal, then punishment is eternal. And the miracle of the Gospel is God sent Jesus Christ, the one man who had the same worth of God Himself, to come and die in your place so that God can say, not guilty while you still live on this earth. It's the best news in the universe. And He died for sin once for all. He's never going to die again. You remember Lazarus? When he died, Jesus raised him from the dead. He was really dead, and he was really raised, but it's different than Christ's death. In a sense, Lazarus was resuscitated to his old self. So what's going to happen to Lazarus again? Poor guy had to die twice. But Jesus, according to these two verses, when He raised from the dead, He died once for all. And the life He lives, He's going to live forever. Let me read it again. For we know that Jesus being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over Him. He defeated it. For the death He died to sin, He died once for all, but the life He lives, He lives to God. There's a clue there. If we died with Him once for all on the cross, so we can live with Him forever, this verse just said Jesus was raised so that He could live to God. Why do you think you're raised? To live for God. Right? Should we go on sinning since we have grace? Wait a minute. The reason He purchased us is so we could have union with Jesus in His death and resurrection and walk in newness of life. It doesn't make sense. The person who says, I have grace, so I'm going to go on sinning, doesn't get the greatest part of the Gospel. Doesn't understand who they are in their union with Christ. When you believed in Christ and were baptized, now if you're trusting in Christ and haven't been baptized, you just should be baptized. You should put your wedding ring on. You should have the visible representation in your life. Because baptism acts as almost like a visible door. Let's picture, so Jesus is on this side, the cross is over here. Let's say this pulpit is a door. Big old door. Here's your life in Adam. You're living over here. You're doing everything you want to do. Selfishly. The Bible says it's more blessed to give than receive. That's why there's not much blessing on this side. It's all about me. It's all about sin. It's all about idolatry. I'm living over here, but then all of a sudden I hear Christ preached and I trust in Him. And I'm baptized. It's like going through a door, shutting that door. I'm dead in Adam, in Christ. And coming over here and living a life of free grace, forgiveness, and now I actually want to live for God. And Paul's argument is this. Are you really asking if you can go walk back through that door and submit to a slave master you've been freed from? that promised death to you? Does that make any sense at all? Because over here, there is no more death. There's just life. 
Yes, we will die. You and I are going to die in our physical body, but here's the best news in the world. You're a half a second away from your life getting so much better, you can't even comprehend it. So the thing everyone in the world dreads, I, you know, I'm not looking forward to it in one sense, but if it's here, I know the reality. I'm with Christ, present. Though I die, yet shall I live, the Scripture says. It's not a real death. It's going through a doorway to real life. Do we really want to go backwards in our direction? Listen to Revelation 1.17. Talking about the one who will live forever. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys to death and Hades. <laughs> it's the best news in the world. He ransacks death. He has the keys. And if you'll trust in Him, you're united with Him in His death and you're united with Him in His resurrection. So here's Paul's application. Do not let sin reign in you. Live for God. Let's look at verse 11. Here's the first command. There's three commands in verse, one in verse 11, one in verse 12, one in verse 13. If we're not to go on sinning, how ought we to live? So you must consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. For those of you who were here that last week, how do you change? Well, God gives us two types of grace. Forgiving grace, where He takes your life of sin. When you trusted in Him, it was taken to the cross. It was nailed to the cross. Paid. Payment for sin done. That's forgiving grace. But God also gives us transforming grace where He actually gives us the ability to change. And the way you activate transforming grace is right in this verse. You believe in it. You consider yourself dead in Christ on the cross. Dead to the old man, the old Adam life, and alive to God in the Spirit. The way you live your new life is God provides the power. The, the most powerful part of your salvation is your taste buds change. The God that used to be boring to you, the God whom you used to not care about all of a sudden becomes life to you. His Word becomes food to you. That is power. So the first thing, the first command is to consider yourself dead to sin, alive to God in Christ Jesus. Here's how you live your life as a Christian. By faith in God's Word. By faith in Jesus Christ, the One who loved you, gave Himself for you. Now I just want to throw out one question try to answer one question that you might have. You might be sitting here saying, well, Sam, you're telling me I'm dead to sin. In what way am I dead to sin? Because I still sin. Well, if what Paul meant is we won't sin anymore, then I'm in big trouble. But I think it has to do with so much of what we see in the Bible of the already and not yet. So I want to give you three already's and one not yet. And I got this from John Piper. I think it's helpful. What it means that you're dead to sin is that you're already justified. God already says not guilty for your sins. Already 
the power of sin has been destroyed. Sin doesn't have to have power against you anymore. Jesus took away the sword of sin that could kill you. He ripped it out of His hands. Because what's His sword? The fear of death. When Jesus conquered death, Jesus ripped that out of Satan's hands, the accuser's hands. And so He took away the power of death and sin. And He's given us the Spirit so we can actually kill our sin. And He's already made us able to make progress in holiness by the power of the Spirit. You're actually able to grow in holiness. Kill more sin in your life. There's only one thing that hasn't yet happened. And that's perfection. When Christ returns, we will not sin anymore. The reason why I don't think Paul means perfection is because in Philippians 3.12, here's how he describes his life. Not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Jesus Christ has made me His own. Here's Piper's paraphrase. I take hold of my identity in Christ because He has taken me for it. He's basically saying, live like who you are. Paul says, I'm not saying I'm perfect yet, but I'm striving to kill sin in my life because Jesus took me, made me His own so that I could kill sin in my life and I could grow in holiness. The message is this, be who you are. Don't live like Adam when Adam died. And you have the power to live like Christ. That would be ultimate foolishness. Listen to 1 Corinthians. Uh, you know, every time we sin now, we sin out of choice. We don't sin because we have to anymore. Listen to 1 Corinthians 10.12. Therefore, if any one of you thinks he stands, take heed lest he fall. No temptation is overtaking you that is not common to man. God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, He will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. We can never claim, oh, I'm enslaved to sin now because in every moment of temptation, we can go back through the door and sin. It's kind of like this. Can a married woman live like she's single? Well, yeah, it's not impossible, right? She can. It's not very smart because what's the reality? The reality is, is she's married. To live outside of reality is foolishness. The married woman ought to feel her ring and remember who she is and be like who she is. In the same way, we as Christians, those of us who are already saved, ought to remember our baptism. It's like a ring. And we say, oh, this is who I am in Christ. i got to live like who I am. It's the same thing with the, a redeemed slave. Why would he go back to the cruel slave master? He could. It's just stupid to do it. Second command, fight sin and live in your mortal art. Fight sin. And, and, and look, look at what he says in verse 12. Let not therefore reign in your mortal body. Let not sin reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Isn't it interesting? He says we live in a mortal body, one that's going to die. And he also thinks we cannot let sin reign there. He, te he says, don't let it be there. That means there's power to fight it. And it's kind of like the third command. Look at verse 13. Do not present your members as instruments to sin. That's your body. 
Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who've been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. Here's the key. Christ saved you so that you can now live for the glory of God. Let me just shoot some verses at you rapid fire. So just listen in. Likewise, Romans 7.4, Likewise, my brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You hear that belonging? To Him who's been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. Verse 5, For we were living in the flesh our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in the members, in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in a new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Or how about 2 Corinthians 5.15? And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Or how about 1 Peter 2.24? He Himself bore our sins, our sins in His body on the tree. Why? That we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Galatians 2.28 For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself a transgressor. For the law, for through the law I died to the law. Why? So I might live to God. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or how about this argument? 1 Corinthians 6.13, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised the Lord and will also raise us up in His power. See how he's arguing? Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? There's a union there. Shall I then take the members of Christ and make the members of a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who is joined a prostitute becomes one body with her? For it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you? whom you have from God. Now get this. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. So, glorify God with your body. Two more. If then you've been raised with Christ, this is Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you'll appear with Him in glory. He says His death is yours. His resurrection is yours. Put to death therefore what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, covetousness which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed after the the image of its Creator. Do you know the significance of your union with Jesus Christ? There's no greater doctrine in the world. If you belong to Him, you have all the hope in this world. If you're diagnosed with cancer tomorrow and you have two weeks to live, that cancer cannot steal from you 
anything that is lasting. You will live forever. All your promises in Christ are still yes and amen. So if you want to know what your hope is in life and death, it's in belonging to Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today saying, Sam, how can I know I belong to Jesus Christ? It's not some fancy religious rite you have to do. It's something a child could understand. Here's what you need to know. The person God saves is the one who recognizes there is no hope in and of themselves. As I share Christ with people in the community, most people think they're pretty good people. And as long as they think they're pretty good, they will never turn to Christ. But if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I know there's no hope in and of myself. I know I'm sinful and I know I need a substitute. The life I lived was sin. I need Jesus' perfect life to be transferred to my account and I may need my sin transferred to Him. If you're here today and you're saying, that's me, all you need to do is ask God to save you. You can just say, Lord, help me cling to You as my only hope because a person is not saved by being good enough. A person is saved by clinging to the Savior. And the way you cling to the Savior is you trust in what He did on your behalf. And when you do that, He'll create a new heart that where you actually want to turn from your Adam life and live for God. Father, the Gospel is so good. And yet, so often, we don't even think about things like union with Christ and all the benefits we get in Christ. We become children of God in Christ. God, how can You make us part of Your family? We thank You, Lord. We thank You for Your grace. God, I pray that even right now, You would be drawing sinners to Yourself that maybe today, right now, new children of God have been formed. And that maybe people here right now are hearing your declaration of not guilty in Christ. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.